0: What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. My name is Ace Fanning, and this week's story is intense to say the least. And I don't want to take up a bunch of your time, but I want to quickly just first let you know that I hope you're all doing okay and hanging in there. I think that we all handle stress differently and we all have our own coping mechanisms and i I just hope that all of you are taking care of yourselves and doing whatever it is you need to do to get through this time in the best way possible for you. And so that being said, if you are in a fragile place right now, this story has a lot of emotions and maybe right now it's not the right fit for you. But it will still be here when the world goes back to normal. But if you are in a place to hear it, it is a story that I really want people to hear. And I am just so grateful to be the platform that this woman has chosen to share it on. This week's secret, The Stalker. Okay, so how old were you when all of this started and... What kind of person were you at that time?
1: I was a 16 year old girl. I was a junior in high school. I am an extreme extrovert. I live off of people's energy. I and have a super vibrant personality. I would say, like, I'm a lot to handle. I'm just like your average 16 year old girl who's like, all right, what are we doing Friday night? Like, where are we going? Who are we hanging out with? Kind of deal.
0: And how did you meet this? Person originally,
1: so I play volleyball, and so it was after one of my high school volleyball games at an away school. He approached me after a volleyball game, and it was it was a really weird situation. We are standing in a huddle as a team, and he was standing very awkwardly close. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't know who he was. I just thought, oh, maybe it's a girl on the team's family or something. And then afterwards, I walked away to go take off my gear, and he came up to me and introduced himself in first and last name. And he asked me if anyone had told me that I was extremely beautiful that day. And I was caught off guard and I was like, what? Like, uh, no, like, I I mean, what do you say? And it was just, I was so caught off guard. And so then he asked me if I would go to the gym with him. And I told him, no, sorry, I don't live over here. And I don't go to the gym with males that I don't know. And he just continued to talk, and I was trying to find ways to get out of the conversation. He asked me for my phone number, and <laughs> this is probably my number one regret. Was I foolishly gave it to him, and I just walked away because so I thought, okay, quick, easy, I can get out of here, I'll block him. Then he followed me into the stands, and another player told him to leave me alone, that he has no right to be following
0: me. When you saw him originally, like, did he... Obviously, the questions were weird, but overall, was his vibe weird? Did he like most of the time when we hear of a stalker, I feel like we think of like, a creepy molestery looking type of person in the shadows. But what was your like, initial impression of him?
1: Um, If I'm being completely honest,
0: I, (laughs)
1: along with my personality, I just, I'm very naive. And so I saw him and I was just like, Oh, I mean, he did not look well put together. He was in like a dirty white t-shirt i still remember to this day four years later (laughs) he's in a dirty white t-shirt and basketball shorts and so at first i was like i wonder if he's a club volleyball coach trying to recruit me to his club and then the second he started talking to me i was like okay yeah no something is not right
0: here after that day did he try to call you or did you lock him right away
1: yeah, so I got home from the game and I was walking up the stairs and I saw this number pop up on my phone and he was calling me and I didn't have the number saved. So I was like, I bet this is him. So I answered the phone, but I put it on mute immediately because I didn't want him to hear my voice. I didn't want him to hear me at all. <laughs> I wanted this guy gone already. And so then I answered it and he was like, Hello? Hello? I was like, this dumb bitch must have gave me a fake number. And he said, It's blank, said his name uh, are you there? And then just started murmuring weirdness and hung up. So I was like, perfect. It's confirmed. It's him. So I went and I blocked his number on my phone from phone calls and texts. However, that did not stop him. He continued to call me. So he called me that night. And then the next day he left a voicemail because it went straight to voicemail since I blocked him. And it was mostly unintelligible, like, Couldn't understand what he was saying and something about going to the gym. And then he left another message on my phone saying, hey, I'll fuck you when I'm 98 years old.
0: How old was he?
1: At the time, I believe he was 28 when he started stalking me. And I was 16.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. When you first saw him, were you under the impression? Like, some people look young. Did you think that he was 28 or did he look more like someone your age
1: no he definitely looked older i wouldn't go with 28 i would say like
0: mid-20s when you get these voicemails are you starting to like freak out or do you just think he's just a dumbass and doing stupid things
1: um i remember going to my parents one night and being i asked them should i be worried about this You know, you always want to give people the benefit of the doubt of like, maybe he was just intoxicated. Maybe he was on drugs. Like, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But at one point when I heard the, hey, I'll fuck you and I'm 98 years old, I felt very violated in that moment. I was like, I'm a 16 year old girl who was nothing but nice when I first met him. Like, I could have been a total bitch and been like, get away from me, blah, blah, blah. But that's just not who I am as a person. And so once I heard that message, to answer your question directly, I did start to get worried. And I did start to think like, who is this dude and why is he calling me repeatedly with no answer?
0: When you were at the volleyball game, were you at your school or were you at another school?
1: It was an away volleyball game. He told me while we were talking that he rode his bike. I think it was 17 miles to come watch me play.
0: So he knew of you before the game?
1: According to what he said, yes, he did. How d- do I know him? No idea. A complete stranger walked up to me. No relationship, no family. He graduated from the same high school as me in 2006. To put that in perspective, I graduated in 2018. So, there's no way that we I mean, let alone he's 28. Now he's way older, but there's no way that we would have had previous contact.
0: Looking back on it, do you think that he knew more about you than he said he did? Or do you think that he really did just kind of randomly pick you out?
1: Looking back now, I think that he knew more than he said he did. In the moment, I did not think that. I just thought, oh, he was at a volleyball game and thought I was attractive and like gained this fascination, whatever you want to call it. And so when it first happened, I was like, this is weird. And being a 16-year-old girl, I was like, I'm not even the prettiest girl on my team. Like, why me kind of thing? And But now that I have gone through everything that I've gone through with this man, and you'll hear as I tell my story, um, I definitely, I think it was premeditated before he came up to me.
0: When you played the voicemails for your parents, did they seem alarmed or were they just like, "Mm, just seems like a weirdo?
1: Um, My dad was pissed there's a lot of daughters in my family. So my dad's just super protective to begin with. And so the second that he heard the inappropriate one about when he was 98 years old, my dad was like, all right, we got to get to the bottom of this now. Like we're stopping this now. This is not okay.
0: And did you know anything about him or was he just some, like, I know that now, you know, that you guys both went to the same school or whatever, but like, In that short amount of time in which you talked and then when he was calling you and leaving these voicemails, did you know anything about him or was he just a complete rando off the street?
1: Um, If my memory serves me correct, I believe when he first confronted me, he told me that he went to the same high school I did and told me when he graduated. But besides that, no, as the situation progressed, I would talk to our athletics department at my school. And my athletic director said that he had him in one of his classes. And so that's kind of how I confirmed the fact that he went to the same school as I did at one point, because at that point, I wasn't going to believe anything that came out of his mouth because everything he said was just insane.
0: Okay. So walk me through what happens after these voicemails.
1: So... September 24th was the last voicemail that he left at that time. And then October 6th, 2016, he came to a home volleyball game at my high school and we saw him in the stands and I went up and I told my high school coach and he was like, all right, we're going to keep an eye on him. Don't you worry? Like we got you. Like my, I had the best support system at my school. And so then he tried to approach me after the game and after the game, basically what happened, we would shake the opponent's hand and I would be walking next to my coach everywhere I went so that a male was always with me because this man is six foot four, a bigger dude. You know, he could take me if he wanted to. And so he tried to approach me after that home game and I like ran out of the gym with my coach and I administration told him he needed to leave. And he started arguing with them and told him that he wanted to talk to me and that he wasn't there to cause any harm. And then security then at that point said, no, you're banned from campus. Don't ever come back. So then October 18th, he attended a volleyball game at a different school. So it was an away game for me. And during warmups, he started recording me on his cell phone. And my mom, sat behind him and watched him video me during warmups. And typically my dad is at every volleyball game. However, he was, um, had a business meeting that night. And so then my mom went and talked to another player's father, because once again, this is a big male who knows what he's capable of. And another player's father came and blocked his view and the stalker asked him to move. And so the he went and sat next to him and asked him, do you have a sister who plays here? And he said, no, he graduated from the same high school in 2006. And they just continued to make small talk while the father was trying to figure out, like, what are his intentions? So the dad stayed next to him. And then we, as a team, left the court to go change into our uniforms. And at this point, the soccer stands up and starts bolting to where we go out the gym to change our uniforms. Um, my mom booked it across the court because while I'm putting my uniform on, I see him in the hallway. And so I just run into the gym and I just start crying because I vividly remember saying to my mom, why won't he leave me alone? Why is he here? Why is he so fascinated with me? And I was disgusted that he tried to come out and watch me change. I thought that was inappropriate. And so then afterwards, I'm trying to compose myself. I get myself together and I'm like, all right, I got a volleyball game to play. Like, let's go. Like, it's game time. So then he went back into the stands, but didn't sit in the same area as the dad. Instead, he sat behind a bunch of moms from my team. He began recording me again and the mom's noticed, So they stood up to block his view and He started asking them to sit down or to move out of his way, and the moms told him that he doesn't need to record the girls. And at that point, he grabbed one of the mom's shoulders um, to turn her around because he kept complaining that they were blocking his view. And this woman grabbed his cell phone and chucked it onto the court. Then he turned around. He stepped towards the mom, and a bunch of men swarmed him and like grabbed him. The dads were telling him to leave me alone, and he was arguing that he wasn't doing anything wrong. At this point, I am on the court. Two of my sisters were at the game, and they run over to me. Um, I start crying because now this huge scene is being caused at one of my high school volleyball games. Parents' kids are running out of the stands like like a movie scene, and there's just like these men on top of this dude. He's yelling. So then I'm over there, I'm with my coach and my sisters, and I'm just trying to stay calm. And um, one of the dads took him out into the foyer, and he starts arguing with the parents that he's doing nothing wrong. Well, then my mom, love that lady, stepped into the argument and told him that he needed to leave her, my family, and mostly her daughter alone. And he asked who my mom was, and she said, I'm blank blank, said her first and last name um blank's mother and that he needed to leave all of us alone stop friend requesting us on social media stop calling me stop coming to my games and just leave me alone at this point he stepped into my mom's face getting very close to her and started to say something but another man had grabbed him and brought him down to the ground police came he was charged i don't really know what happened after that because then i went and played in the game And so then the next day, my mom and I went down and filed an order of protection, which is um, a restraining order, to ensure that we had legal rights to keep him away from me and that he wasn't allowed in any location where I was. He wasn't allowed at my school, at my house, anything, which at that point, he had never come to my house.
0: I'm shocked with how quickly it escalated. And I think what shocks me the most is like his behavior is extremely scary because I would think most of the times in that situation, if he thought anyone was onto him about you, he would would just try and like slink away and then show back up later or something like that. But the fact that he's so aggressive and causing such a scene and he knows everyone's onto him, I feel like that just shows what a crazy person he was.
1: Most definitely. And that's the thing that really Bothered me the most was um, one, that's a traumatic situation to be in, let alone like at a high school volleyball game to see all that happen and know that it's because a dude wants to videotape you and essentially take you away with him. Like, that's scary to think about. And two, the fact that the school where I was playing at, their security officer said that there was no reason to be escorted off campus when he first showed up. So he first showed up at the game. My coach went and talked to security and said, this dude needs to leave. He's banned from our campus. Like he will cause issues. And they said, we don't have a reason to make him leave. And then that happened. And then he left because police escorted him off. So that's what was frustrating was because what harm does it do kicking him off, the like kicking him off campus? Like that's one thing that to this day. Like, I'm still just like, why would you not listen to a coach of a team who deals with a player who deals with this man?
0: I think in today's day and age, if there's an almost 30 year old man sitting at a game where 15, 16, 17 year old girls are playing and he doesn't have a reason for being there, like he's a family member or he is another coach or something like that, it, that, I feel like that's just enough reason to be like, hey. I don't see why you're here. I think it's time for you to go.
1: Especially when he starts recording players. Is that not a red flag right there? Like, he is recording there and zooming in on my body. Like, is that not enough for a man to be told, please leave? Like, you're a threat.
0: After this game, is everybody around you, like, on high alert about this guy?
1: Yes. At that point, I had buddy system was implemented from that moment on I was never alone I mean like never alone like I was if I was walking to class it was with someone if I was walking to my car it was with someone if I came home it was with someone like it was just at that point we realized all right this dude is persistent and so yeah we were on very high alert um I would say every parent in that volleyball program from freshman JV varsity knew who he was and knew who I was and they were looking out for me 100%.
0: What did that do to you? Because at the beginning you had talked about, like, you know, you were really carefree and you were easygoing and you were really outgoing, extroverted social to now, first of all, everyone knows about you, which 16 year old girls, like they don't want everyone to know about them. They don't want to be the cause of a scene. They don't want to be, they don't want people talking about them. And now you have everyone talking about you. Now, you have to be scared to go anywhere.
1: Exactly. I think that was the hardest part for me in that moment was my identity was no longer the tall volleyball player. It was the girl with the stalker. And when you're in high school and you're 16 years old, I think that's probably one of the points where you're most conscious about your self-image and how people perceive you. And luckily, I think I've gained this trait more of like, I don't give a shit about what anyone thinks about me. But in that moment, I was like, I'm the girl with this soccer. I'm the girl with this crazy dude who wants to come take me, who knows what he wants to do with me. And I have to go to school and act like everything's okay. And I have to act like I'm not scared to walk from class to class. And I have to act like I'm not scared to walk to my car. Because at that point, like... <laughs> You're 16. Like to say to someone, like, yeah, I'm scared to walk to my car alone. Like, I didn't have the confidence in myself to admit that, even though this dude was crazy. The only people who I admitted to were were my parents because I know that they would advocate for me. And so I became like super self conscious about what people thought of me. And, you know, if people, I was sitting in class and they were like, oh, I heard about what happened in the volleyball game last night. Like, oh, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, it's okay. Because, it was hard for me to talk about it because I didn't want my image to be perceived differently.
0: What did your dad say that night when you guys all got home?
1: (laughs) My dad was pissed. He was, he at that point never missed another volleyball game, no matter what he had. He was super mad that he just happened to have a meeting that night and he I think he, at one point, genuinely almost felt guilty for not being there. And I look up to my dad. My dad's my hero. And that kind of broke my heart, too. And so in the middle of all this, not only am I dealing with the mental, emotional side of having a stalker, it's starting to affect my family, too. And it's starting to change the conversations at the dinner table. And we're starting to talk about, okay, should you carry pepper spray at all times? What should we do to ensure that you can protect yourself if he were to ever approach you while you're alone? And so I think my dad, he was very angry, but my dad was, he's also very sound. So he was like, all right, we can sit here and be mad about this, but what are we going to do about it? And so then at that point was when we started, you know, all right, tomorrow, let's go file a restraining order. We're going to order some pepper spray off of Amazon. That's when we started to take more precautionary steps because Then we realized, all right, this is starting to become a huge deal.
0: When you got the order of protection, that has more to do with like, I mean, I don't know, but is it more to do with physical distance or could he also still not contact you from social media, your phone and all that stuff?
1: It's both. So physical distance, there's a certain mile radius that he has to remain away from me and Um, he's no longer allowed to contact me on my phone or social media or anything. So it's no contact in whatever realm.
0: At this point, are you guys looking into him at all? Like, do you know where he lives? Do you know, like a lot about him or no?
1: Um, we're trying to get information about him. So my family, a lot of my uncles are in law enforcement. And so we're calling them, asking them, what should we do? Like what? we've never been in this situation before like this isn't something that's common so what do we do and we tried to work with the local police department and they were not very receptive at first they didn't really give us much to work with so we were like all right well we need action now so let's call our family members so one of my uncles had reached out to his family on social media and basically got a response of like i'm sorry he did that but he's a grown man. So then basically his family at that point hadn't been super responsive to our concerns. And that itself took an emotional toll on me because I was like, can you not have empathy? Like, imagine if this was your 16-year-old daughter. Like, you are aware of what your son is doing and you are not helping him. So yeah, we... Slowly started to gain more information, but it was also hard to gain information because we weren't wanting to contact him.
0: Were you scared, like, at home? Were you scared, like, you said you were scared going back and forth to the car and stuff like that, but were you also scared when you were at home or when you were in class? Like, did you feel like there was always someone watching you or something like that?
1: Yes, at school. At school, I would walk to another class and I would constantly be looking around like who's around me, constantly aware of my surroundings. When I was driving, I would always look in my rearview mirror. I would just constantly make sure because I knew what he looked like. I was like, all right, cool. Like if anyone started following me, I would always call one of my parents and just start talking to them. And then, I mean, at that point, I started to get a little bit paranoid about somebody following me. And so then most of the time it was just me overreacting, but I always felt safe at my home. And yeah, I think that that just happens to be everybody's natural safe places. You go home and it's where you relax and where you unwind from the day. So at home, I was never scared to be home alone or anything, but out in public, I was always very aware of my surroundings.
0: I just can't, I can't even begin to imagine these feelings At 16, like, honestly, just today, I yelled at one of our neighbor's dogs. And then he came and yelled at me for yelling at the dogs. And all afternoon, (laughs) I've been scared that he's gonna come and find us and shoot me or something. And like, that's a very unrealistic threat. But and I'm also a 30 year old man, like, you're a 16 year old girl. 16 is like typically like you you just start driving which is already a scary thing like you're on your own a lot more at 16 and to there's an actual viable threat here
1: definitely and at that age I had been playing competitive volleyball my commute to practice was an hour one way and so I was constantly on the go and so constantly being on the go just already you kind of start to get more anxious. And at this point I had never had anxiety or depression or anything. And I think that in a sense, I don't want to say I developed anxiety because anxiety is a very real emotion, but I would get anxious and I would be driving and I would just, you know, oh my gosh, I have a soccer who's out to get me. And then it would just be like, okay, I'm going to calm myself down now. It sounds awful, but it was normal for me. Like, it was normal for me to constantly be on the lookout. It was normal for me to constantly have anxious moments. And I just got used to it. And it it became normalized. Like, it was at some point, it started to not phase me because I was so used to having a crazy man follow me.
0: Did the order of protection help? Like, did he disappear for a while?
1: Yes and no. So, after October 19th, when I went and filed the order of protection, he essentially went away for a little bit over five months. And then March 27th, a little after midnight, our doorbell started ringing probably about seven times. And I remember waking up to that and thinking, okay, weird, but I wasn't gonna go get it. I just knew that my parents would. And so my dad, he went downstairs. He thought, oh, maybe it's one of my daughters who's in trouble, like I'm gonna go answer it. And so then my dad answered the door to a man who said he needed to see me And be sure that I was okay because he had a gut feeling something was wrong with me. So then my dad, mind you, it's the middle of the night. He just woke up, kind of like, what's going on, foggy? He said, well, she's asleep and I'm not going to go wake her. And the stalker was very calm and just said, okay, I just want to make sure she's okay. Can you assure me of that? My dad said, yeah. And then he left. So my dad hadn't physically seen him for months. He didn't quite realize who he was until he said his name and left. So then my dad went upstairs and talked to my mom and my mom was like, That's the stalker. And so then my mom comes in my room, tells me she needs my phone. And I was like, What? And she's like, Can I have your phone? And I was like, Of course you can have my phone. She's like, unlock it. And I was like, okay. And I I didn't think I was in trouble or anything because I knew I hadn't done anything. But I was just like, this is super weird. So then I just try to go back to bed and I'm laying in bed for two hours wide awake. And I was like, okay, I got to figure out why she wanted my phone. Like, that's so abnormal. My parents don't ever take my phone. So when I walked into their room and I was like, mom, I'm so sorry, but why did you take my phone? So my mom said, did you hear the doorbell? And I said, yeah, who was it? And she said, it was your stalker. And I just sat there and I was like, wait, no, it wasn't. she's was like, yes, we filed a police report. And so I said, okay, how, how does he know where I live? And why did he come back? And we have a restraining order against him. That's illegal. And so my mom told me, well, it turns out that they never served his injunction against harassment. So he had no idea there's a restraining order against him. So I was furious. I was like, are you kidding me? Like we go down to the court, file this restraining order, and they don't even go serve it to him. So it wasn't legally enacted. And so given you, that's five months after we filed for the restraining order. I felt not abandoned, but kind of like, does this not matter to them? Like, I understand they have a lot going on, but like, we have a lot of things going on here too. So then I just sat there and I talked to my parents probably for three hours. And I just remember being really scared at that moment because he knew where I lived. Mind you, I don't live two miles away from my high school. I live a good nine, 10 miles away. And so it's not like And I live in a suburb. like, I was just so alarmed that this man knew where I lived, how he knew no idea. So then I was talking to my parents about it still. And I was like, well, what did he say? What did he want? And this is the part that's really creepy is just a couple days prior to when he came and knocked on our, or rung our doorbell. The boy who I had just recently got out of a relationship with was involved in a serious life-threatening rollover car crash. And I would say that it was really well known in the community what had happened. It was a miracle that he was alive. It kind of hit us of, how much does this man really know about me? Because what if he thought I was in that car crash? The fact that he came to our door and said he had a gut feeling something was wrong. Like, how much did he know? And so that's the part that really, like, mentally kind of threw me for a whirlwind of, I am being watched. And it's more than a soccer at this point. He's coming to my
0: house. I'm curious because they didn't serve him with, and I mean, I'm not like the biggest sports guy in the world, but I did sports in high school. I think that October is kind of the end of sports, right? Yeah,
1: our season typically ends in October.
0: So the timing almost worked out where it was like, it almost seemed like he went away because he was served. But realistically, he probably just couldn't access you the same way because you were done with volleyball season.
1: 100%.
0: What the frick is going through your mind in that moment of realizing that he knows where you live? I feel like knowing where you live is a whole other Ball game. Then, like, you know, before he could go online, he could look at the volleyball schedule, he could find out when you were playing. That's not hard. It's scary, but knowing where you live, the place where you had just told me you felt safe there, and now he's showing up there.
1: In that moment, the only emotion you know is fear. And once again, being a 16 year old girl, knowing that a 28, 29 year old man knows where you live. How are you supposed to go home and relax? How are you supposed to go home and feel comfortable? How are you supposed to walk around your house not scared if he's going to come knock on your door again? It's impossible. And I was mentally really struggling. And there's one thing that I do regret during all this. And it was not being open with how I truly felt because I didn't want to scare my parents even more. And so I was terrified and I'm sure my parents could see that, but I never openly went up to them and was like, I am afraid to live my life. Like (laughs) when I say I was afraid to live my life, I was afraid to live my life. I couldn't even walk from my car to my house without being like sprinting into the garage or like being on the phone with someone or having my finger on my pepper spray because who knew where he was?
0: I just think we take for granted sometimes the blanket security that we kind of all have in our everyday lives of just not having to think about that. You know, I can walk outside and it can be midnight and I'm not really scared of it because I don't have a fear of someone being out there trying to get me, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. It changes your life. You don't go for runs at night anymore because he knows where you live. So what are the chances of you running down the street, getting your exercise? He sees you and throws you in his car. Like that's awful. And that seems like such a bizarre idea, but this man is bizarre. Like those are things that I had to think about as a 16 year old girl. What would I do if I saw him in person? And so at that point, yeah, I can sit here in fear and trust me, I did. But at that point you have to start planning and you have to start thinking of these scenarios that no 16 year old girl should ever have to think about to protect my life.
0: After he shows up at your house, do you guys go back to the police?
1: Yeah. So he shows up, my dad told him to leave. And so the police come and then we show them the paperwork of the restraining order and they look it up on their computer or however they verify it. And they're like, well, he was never served for it. So legally he could come to your house. And so then April 1st, at 7 in the morning, he was served for the injunction against harassment the restraining order. So then he officially knows he is no longer allowed to contact me in any form.
0: And does he listen?
1: No. The next day, April 2nd, around 7 p.m., he came back to my house and asked my parents why they filed the restraining order. And my dad told him, probably pretty colorfully, to leave and never come back, and we filed a police report.
0: I'm sitting here and I'm thinking back on when you had talked about earlier how like you guys didn't want to... You wanted to reach out to like his family to try and get them to reach out to him, but you didn't want to reach out to him directly because it kind of brings it all up again. And so him being served, I mean, that's such a shitty situation to be in because you want him to be served so that he leaves you alone, but serving him does also bring it to his attention and that's why the next day he's coming back over because he's not in his right mind
1: 100 percent, he is definitely mentally ill and it's a catch-22 it's it's a lose-lose situation it's really what it is is he gets served a restraining order but do you really think a piece of paper is going to keep him from coming no and it didn't
0: when you filed the police report did anything really come of that
1: no the purpose of filing police reports at this time was Proof. So if something bigger were to happen, that we would have proof of these seven, six, eight, five, however many times different dates that he came to our house, here's proof of it. And here's a police report. It just, if we ever had to go to court for anything happened, it helped our case.
0: Okay. So then what happens next?
1: So the day after he comes and asks why we filed the restraining order, I receive a text from a new phone number. And it was most definitely him. He texted me saying how he wanted to spend eternity with me, and he wanted to love me, and he wanted me to have his children. And I showed my parents that text and had a mental breakdown because, mind you, I'm 16 years old. Once again, 28, 29 year old crazy dude keeps coming to my house, gets a new phone number to text me, and I had recently just got out of a relationship, and the guy was dating almost just died in a car crash. And so mentally, emotionally, for a 16-year-old, that's a lot going on. So I just start crying. I told my parents, I need a new number right now. And so they went, and I got a new phone number. And later that day at 350, he came back to our house and rung the doorbell. And my mom was the only one alone because my dad was still at work. And I had just left to go visit my friend in the hospital who was in that car crash. And my mom hid under the desk in our office because she was so scared to go answer the door. So she didn't. And where she was in our house at the time, the blinds had been open. So if he were to look in the window, he would have saw her. So she hid under a desk.
0: I mean, there's so many bad parts to all of this, but I think the worst part about all of this is that. I think in a lot of situations, when someone gets a stalker, it's somebody that they knew before. So at least you you almost feel somewhat not I don't, I don't want to say safe, but you almost feel somewhat like okay, like I do know this person, and yeah, they're being they're starting to be creepy. They're starting to like be everywhere I'm at and stuff like that. But you don't know this guy at all.
1: Yeah, I had had one conversation with him. And he had seen my face in person, maybe three times, two times from the volleyball games he attended. So this is very little contact between him and I physically, and he's still so persistent. I mean, I didn't give him anything to work off of. Like I didn't feed him anything to make him want to keep coming back. Like I wasn't replying to texts. I wasn't, I mean, I was like, all right, I'm done. Like, I'm putting myself on lockdown because I don't want to give him any fuel to his fire.
0: When he comes to the house and your mom is hiding under the desk, she obviously knows that it's him, right? Yes. Does she call the police?
1: Yeah. So then she calls the police. The police come. He's gone by the time the police get there. And then I get a phone call from my mom. And I'm in um, the hospital room visiting my friend. And my mom tells me what's going on. and you know, naturally your reaction is to freak out again, but I just really tried my best to keep myself together. So then my mom was like, I'm coming down to the hospital because she didn't want me driving home alone and him possibly see me. And so she wanted to be with me. So she came to the hospital.
0: I know that you had said earlier that he had told you that he rode his bike to your game. Do you know when he's coming to your house? Is he coming... On a bike or is he coming by a car?
1: he's coming by a car, and so this is alarming too, because the first night that he came in the middle of the night, then we had learned okay, he now has a car too, so he has a method of transportation to access me wherever I am basically
0: what are police saying at this point? Are they seeming to be alarmed? do they think that you guys are being dramatic
1: um You know, (laughs) they don't seem to be that alarmed, unfortunately. You know, it's a hit and miss, really. And sometimes I felt like we were supported, and you know, there was added security in our neighborhood, and police would drive up, and my dad would be working in the garage, and they would have a conversation. Police officers in my neighborhood know me by name, they know who I am, they know who my parents are. So at some points, it felt like, okay, we're supported, and at others, it was like, So he just broke the restraining order for a third time And what's happening to him now. And it felt like nothing was happening.
0: So after the situation where your mom's home alone, what comes next?
1: So then May 25th, my mom attended a court hearing for what happened at the volleyball game where the phone was thrown onto the court. He stepped into the woman, um, that very dramatic scene. And when it came to sentencing, my mom told me that the judge very directly told him that he needs to stop his pursuit of a teenage girl. And he told them that his actions are creepy and that he's going to find himself in felony court if he doesn't stop his behavior. So he was fined $300 and banned from all high school sporting events. That was it? So for that date, yes. Then 4th of July, he came back to our home left before the police arrived. I didn't see him. He didn't see me. Dad probably told him to leave again. Then November 2nd, so that's kind of a big gap from July to November, he once again, air quotes, went away. Then it's my last high school volleyball game. It's my senior year of high school. And he was waiting outside the gym after the game. And my mom walked outside and she saw him. And she came into the gym She told my dad, my dad went out and talked to him. She came in and stopped me from coming out with the team. I (laughs) start crying again. (laughs) Um, I was just so overwhelmed because, you know, nothing had really happened for a while. And I was like, he's back. He's not gone. And in that moment of when he goes away for a couple months, you start to believe like, he's gone. Thank goodness. Like, I don't have to deal with this anymore because it is emotionally and mentally draining, constantly fearing for your safety. And so my naiveness, my, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though there's no reason to, kind of came back and bit me in the butt of like, oh, he's back. So then he left before he could be arrested. We filed another police report. And yeah, so the security at the school said that he wasn't there the whole game. He never came in during the match. Nobody ever saw him. He was just waiting outside. So then January 1st, 2018, around two forty AM, I wake up to a very loud noise and I look out my window and I see a car parked outside my house and I, didn't really think anything of it because it was New Year's Day, just New Year's Eve. Figured the neighbors had people over and it almost sounded like fireworks in our backyard. And so then I just kind of was like, well, that's weird. I'm just going to go back to bed. My mom goes downstairs to check on our dogs because we had had puppies and she sees him inside our house. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And so my mom starts screaming at him. To get out of her house. And he tells my mom that he's here to get me. He broke open our sliding glass door with a long mortar hoe, which is like a big hoe that, I mean, I don't know anything about construction or gardening, but it looks like something that you would use to like break up cement. And so he smashed open that glass door and just made his way in our house. So then my mom runs upstairs. And my dad comes downstairs and we had a dog gate so that the dogs wouldn't come into the living room. And he's standing between the dog gate and my dad. So there was like a barrier of like three feet and he's just standing there. And my dad was like, what are you doing here? He said, I was talking to God and he told me to come get your daughter. And my dad was like, well, why do you think that? And at this point, my dad's logic is, K, okay, one, he's not angry or mad, as in the stalker isn't. So he's just trying to prolong the situation, draw out the conversation so that the police can get here. At this time that my dad is talking to the stalker, my sister had just gotten home from work about 10 minutes earlier and runs into my room. And she tells me to get into my closet. And the first thing I thought of was, I didn't take any of your clothes. And she said, no, get in the closet. Your stalker's here. And so I shot out of bed, got in the closet, and I held that door shut with every strength in my body. While I'm in the closet, he's still continuing to talk to my dad. And he's saying inappropriate things such as, I'm here to get pussy. He is telling my dad that he's here to take his daughter away and my dad called him by name and said, why do you think that I would let you take my daughter away? You've caused nothing but harm on my family. You've broken into our home. You've woken us up in the middle of the night. That's not happening and this made him mad. So he tried to step over the gate. However, he couldn't and so then he kicks the gate down and there's glass all over the floor And he shoves my dad into the couch. And so then my dad gets up and runs and tries to block him from going upstairs. And he shoves my dad again. And my dad's slipping on the glass. So then my dad goes into our gun safe to retrieve a firearm. I can hear him coming up the stairs. And my sister, who is another one of my heroes, she said, get on the roof. And I said, genius. So I climb out the window. And from the way that our house is set up, if you were to look out my window from the bedroom, you could not see me. But if you were in our driveway, you could see me very clearly. And so I'm sitting on the roof, and he starts to make his way down the hallway and starts looking in all the bedrooms for me. My mom is on the phone with 911, as well as my sister, and I'm sitting on the roof. So then he continues to look in every room for me and he gets to the last door where my sister was staying and he asked her where I was and she said she's not home she's staying at a friend's house he told her no I know she's here I came to get her at this point he turns around and walks away is completely unbothered by my sister so he walks out of the hallway and walks up to my mom And he's about maybe six inches, a foot away from my mom's face. And he approaches her and calls her by name and says, what's wrong? All I want is your daughter. And so my dad had made it back upstairs. And he sees the stalker six inches to a foot away from my mom and immediately fires the gun into the ground. He turns around and he says, that wasn't real. It was a blank. And so then my dad, once again, trying to prolong the situation because we're trying to get the police here. Um, My house is on a hill. I hear a gunshot. I don't know who's been shot. I don't know if my dad shot him. I don't know if he shot my dad. I don't even know if anyone been shot. So I'm sitting on the roof and I can see the police start to drive into my neighborhood. And when I say it felt like 12 years, it felt like 15 years. So I'm sitting there just waiting for the police to get up to my house. And while I'm telling the police the garage code, and I say, there's three dogs in there, just please go get him. And I start panicking because reality sets in of, I just heard a gunshot in my house and I don't know who was shot. And so I'm sitting on the roof and I start to go into shock. And I... I put all my weight towards the back of my body because if I leaned forward, I would have fallen off that roof. And so I'm sitting on the roof, complete shock. The stalker starts walking towards my dad, who has a firearm in his hand, to see if the bullet hole is in the carpet. At this point, the police are inside my house and they come in and point the red laser lights from their guns on him and quickly come up the stairs and take him down to the carpet. I'm still on the roof. Um, As he goes down the stairs, he's yelling that he's mentally ill and he has rights. The officers yelled at him to shut the hell up. Mental illness doesn't give you the right to break into a home. My sister hears that the police officers have him in custody. And so then she helps me come back in the room. And I was hysterically crying. I was so scared And scared isn't even a strong enough verb to describe how I felt. And so then I waited in my room and my body was in such a fight or flight response that I honestly started to go a little bit crazy. I demanded that I was to go out there and see my dad because I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know what was going on. All I knew was that I was woken up in the middle of the night and a man was inside my house. And so I told my sister, let me go out there. Let me see my dad. And she said, no, he's not out of the house yet. And she's pretty much holding me back from going out. And so then she calms me down a little bit and I go out of my room and I just go and I see luckily that there was no blood anywhere. Nobody was shot. And I just embrace my parents in that moment. And I'm pretty much having a panic attack, anxiety attack, whatever you want to call it. And I reacted like that for probably about 30 minutes. I would say there were 10 to 12 officers in my house waiting to question me, waiting to question my family. My whole family was home except for one of my siblings. And so we just all kind of gathered together and just talked about it. I learned the details of the night, not all of them because my parents kept some of the more gruesome details out for the protection of me in that moment because I was so broken and vulnerable. And I would say, I think it was around four thirty that the police officers left and we were just left all alone in our home that he had just broken into. <sighs>
0: Holy shit. That is a lot for one. I can't believe that like your parents from at least from the way that you describe it seem to have really kept their cool, which I think is important in that situation because because he's not obviously of a sound mind. Any big reaction out of them could have caused him to go completely off the rails.
1: One hundred percent. And I think that I am religious. I come from faith. And I think that the events that happened that night happened in the manner that they needed to. I think that it was definitely protecting the family and I think that my parents reaction, there's no other way that I would have wanted them to react. And I am super thankful for that. And one of the hardest parts for me after was the media. We kept this very personal. The only people who knew that he broke into our house were our family members. I only told the boy I was dating at the time and my best friend, and that was it. Some of my closest friends didn't know for weeks after because I I wasn't ready to talk about it. I was suffering from PTSD, anxiety, all of the mental effects of it. And so four days after the break-in, the media released an article about it. And I wasn't surprised that they did, but I was surprised at how soon they did it because I was still grieving and I was still healing. And the last thing that I needed was for the community to reach out to me and want to hear the story. And that's exactly what happened. They posted the article around seven o'clock at night, and I received a text at seven twelve with the article link saying, "Is this you?" And in that moment, you are so mentally weak and broken that for somebody to reach out and say, "Is this you?" and you learn that the media decided to take a story and make it, I guess, publicity was hard, and that article was then posted on Facebook and I saw that and I made the mistake of reading comments and some of the comments I read were very insensitive to what my family was going through and one of the comments well majority of them said making comments about how the dad didn't just shoot him right then and there and that dad must have not had balls big enough and all of these inappropriate, so insensitive comments that hurt me. And I struggled a lot from reading that because being the victim of this situation, the last thing I want was for my dad to shoot him. And so for somebody to comment on something that they don't know anything about, and they don't realize that this man had been stalking me for over a year before to just think that they can offer their advice. I was hurt by that because In that moment, I was so thankful that my dad did not shoot him because one, the trauma of recovering from seeing a dead body in my own home, I I can't even, I'm speechless. I would never want to have to go through that. To have my father live with that feeling that he took a man's life away, I would never want my father to live with that feeling. And I would never selfishly want to live with the idea that because a man stalked me, he is now dead because of me, because he is mentally ill. And right now he is receiving the mental health and treatment that he needs to make him healthy, which should help end this fascination. And so I struggled a lot after this in multiple different aspects. I struggled with feeling abandoned and feeling alone when in reality, I had the biggest community behind me, as in my family and my friends. But the fact that the media went and released an article and people just commented, which, did I expect anything less? No. But did it hurt? Absolutely. 100%.
0: After he was arrested, did you guys go to court?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I laughed because we would go to court pretty soon. However, we did not go to court for 26 months after. What? So I, yeah, just recently of this year, February 28th, so not even two months ago, we went to court and received his sentencing. You would expect that after an event like that, you would go to court relatively sooner than over two years after the event happens. However, we didn't. There was many preliminary hearings, um psychiatric evaluations done to evaluate him. And so on top of dealing with the emotions of a break-in in your home feeling violated and knowing that he knows what the inside of your home looks like and he walked in your house unwelcomed, I never received closure until not even 2 months ago. And that was hard not knowing closure because it caused for a lot of reoccurrences of triggers to cause more pain in my life and to cause panic attacks and anxiety. And so we did go to court, however, not until this
0: year. During that 26 months, he was somewhere though, right? Like he wasn't just really walking about.
1: Correct. He has been in jail ever since January 1st of 2018.
0: What exactly did he get with his sentencing?
1: He received 12 years for his sentencing in the Arizona State Hospital. So, he'll be receiving mental treatment for his mental illness and he will be in there for 12 years hopefully.
0: Did they say, were there drugs in his system or anything?
1: You know what? I bet they would know on the police report. However, I'm unsure. He, at one point, told my dad, I believe that he was high, but also, do I believe anything that comes out of this man's mouth? No. So, I'm just going to go with I'm unsure.
0: How have your parents been since all of this happened? I get to hear from you, but I'm I'm just so curious about, like, and I'm also curious to know if your dad read those comments and kind of how he felt about all of that.
1: My parents have been my rock through it all. They have been the best support system that I could have, and so I knew that they were very bothered by the situation, and I knew that my mom was feeling the same emotions I was, and I knew that we were all going through the same thing. However, my parents were very good at at being my support system. And so I at that point had only seen my mom broken down from it. Besides, once the event happened, the next morning, I walked into her bathroom and she was crying and she was telling me how much she loves me and that she's thankful that our family's safe. And I know that my dad is very Bothered by what happened. And I know that my dad probably thinks about that night every night when actually I know that my dad thinks about that night every night when he goes to bed. But my parents have never told me anything that would make the situation harder for me to deal with.
0: You were robbed of like a really pivotal time in anyone's life. Like I think 16 to 18, you were junior year, senior year of high school. Like those are big moments. And again, like the thing that is just so crazy to me is that this is a completely random person. It's not like it was some ex-boyfriend of yours. You were living life as a 16 year old girl at a volleyball game and some creep just picked you out. And
1: that's one of the hardest things about it is sitting here and thinking, why me? And You know, I don't think that question anymore because I don't think there's a lot of good that comes from asking that question. In fact, I try to focus more on the positives of what this awful situation has brought to my life. But when you're 16 and 17, when he broke into my house and you're sitting on a roof and you hear a gunshot go off in your house and you don't know what's going on from a dude who you don't know who he is and you don't know how he found you. That's hard. That mentally takes a toll on you that I can sit here and explain. I, I don't think people understand because it's not a normal thing. There was no connection to him. And that's why it was so hard was because what did I do? And I, did, I didn't do anything when it comes down to it. I was just living my life as an outgoing teenager. And my innocence was just viciously robbed from me. And my naiveness and my outgoingness and the girl who I was at 16 was not the same as the girl who I was at 18 because of this man.
0: What is one thing that you really want to come from this interview?
1: (laughs) That is such a loaded question. There's so many things. But what I would want to come from this is for anyone who's going through anything similar like this one please don't compare your situation i have a very extreme situation of stalking i have heard of other situations where they just follow you to your house and or they just text you and a stalking situation is a stalking situation so do not compare it and think mine isn't as bad as hers because it's still a traumatic thing to deal with mentally and so the one thing that i want to come from this is for anybody who's going through anything similar to know that You're not alone because you feel so alone in the moment. You feel so abandoned and you feel so violated, but you're not. And the best thing that I did was go seek help. I went to therapy. I went to counseling. And without going to therapy and counseling, there's no way that I would be able to sit here and talk about this. Two months after, I've received a sliver of closure. Because what it comes down to is, yeah, we have his sentencing, but that's just a Band-Aid over the cut. Because one day he will be out of jail, and I need to learn how to live with that. And I need to learn how to be able to live my life without feeling restricted from a man. And so the best way to do that is to seek help. Because there are qualified professionals out there. You have family members. You have friends. There are support groups out there. and I just want to encourage anyone who's going through something similar to seek help and to be your own rock and to know that you are strong enough to get through something that breaks you down to your core.
0: It's only been a few months since the sentencing, but it's been a while since the break-in. Do you feel like there are parts of you that are still healing from all of this?
1: Yes. I can't walk around my house at night alone. Last night, I was FaceTiming a friend and I had to go to the bathroom and I was like, this is weird. I'm putting you on mute and pause, but I need you to come with me. I'll sit you on the counter because I can't walk around my house at night. It's a fear of mine is at night was when he broke in and walking around a dark house alone. I just can't do that yet. And one day, will I be able to? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the only way I'll get through that is through working through the shit, for lack of a better term, because it's hard, you know, for those who are listening, who have suffered from something similar like this, reoccurrences are normal. Um, My freshman year of college, a fire alarm went off in the middle of the night and it woke me up in alarm and I didn't know what was going on. And it kind of re-triggered your brain to think that you are in a situation similar to the night when he broke into my house. So for weeks after, I didn't really sleep at night. I had really bad anxiety. Any male who had the same body structure or looked like him would cause me to kind of panic. And that's normal. And you think that with time it gets better, but if you don't go back and heal those wounds and if you don't go back and change the processing of your brain from a traumatic event, it won't heal with time. And I learned that. And I learned that my sophomore year of college as well, um, I was driving home from a volleyball game. We were on a bus with our team and one of my roommates didn't play indoor volleyball. And she texted us saying that somebody had attempted to break into our dorm room. And I read that first line And immediately I had a panic attack because it's a trigger, somebody breaking into a place where I live and reside. And so in that moment, I had probably a two hour long panic attack on a bus in the middle of California. (laughs) And it was hard. My parents had to fly out to California the next day. They spent four days with me. My parents... Then left to go home and I was supposed to come home that weekend They were leaving on a monday and I was supposed to come home on that friday And I said bye to them went into the training room started getting treatment before practice and I just could not stop crying my trainer Knew what was going on He took me into an office and he was talking to me and asking like what he can do to help me and just trying to calm me down And I just could not do it. So I called my mom my mom Left the airport. She was about to board her flight. Left the airport. Came back and stayed with me until that weekend. And I came home for the weekend just to kind of reset and be in a familiar place and be with my family. And I had to go back to California. And it was hard. And it still is hard. These reoccurrences are are normal and it's it's an awful thing. Still to this day, I'm not healed, but I know that I will be. And I know that these triggers are normal, and you have to stay strong. And that's the hard part is I so easily just wanted to sit in my bed and lay in my bed all day long and not go to class, not do homework, but I can't because life still goes on.
0: cannot even begin to imagine the stress and anxiety that this girl and her entire family went through during this time. And at the very beginning of our time together, we talked and she told me that She didn't have a single hesitation about putting her story out there, but that there was one thing she worried about, and that was the way the public reacted to her dad and his choice not to shoot the man. We dive more into all of that on Patreon, but I have an awesome audience, so I don't worry about it. But if by the slight chance you think for even a second her dad is any less of a man because he didn't shoot this guy down, let me assure you that you are wrong keeping your cool under such extreme circumstances that is a real man i am a hothead and i can't contain my emotions on just a regular day this woman's dad is the ultimate man and I just want him and all of you to know that. This woman is the ultimate woman. Like, it's, there's a lot that I could say, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you guys for listening. Stay safe, and I will see all of you next week.
1: As a secret.